please note that this week's episode of The Dairy Edge was recorded before the outbreak of COVID-19. Hello, I'm Emma-Louise Coffey and you're welcome to The Dairy Edge, the Chagas Dairy Podcast. We're bringing you the latest information, insights and opinion to improve dairy farm performance. On this week's episode, geneticist Siobhan Ring updates us on the latest changes to the EBI, including the new calving difficulty tool for heifers. The, the, the makeup of the calving subindex hasn't changed um, that much, so I suppose an animal with a favourable calving subindex would have been easier calving, have a shorter station and have fewer calf deaths. I suppose this year the change is that the calving difficulty traits in the calving subindex have been uh, re-evaluated to offer better service to farmers. Essentially, we've split out the calving difficulty figure from one trait to two traits. So we have a dairy heifer calving difficulty percentage and a dairy cow calving difficulty um, percentage. And I suppose the reason why is that heifers, they have more difficulty than cows. And um, that was not fully reflected in single calving difficulty figure before. It, it was over-reflected by cow records. And looking at calving difficulty as a figure, Siobhan, when we're selecting bulls from the active bull list, you know, a rule of thumb farmers would have used in the past is, oh, I'm going to have a limit for my heifers. I wouldn't go beyond a calving difficulty of 2%. suppose if you look at that figure, what does it actually mean? That's a very, very important point, Emma-Louise. And that's really what we need to think of when we're setting these thresholds. So for a figure of 2%, if I have 100 cows, that means two out of 100 um, are expected to have considerable difficulty at calving. So if my figure was 3%, we're talking about three out of 100. Um, And I suppose moving to this new new scale when we're splitting out the two different, the dairy heifer and the dairy cow percentage, what we'll see is that the old figure is very reflective of the new cow figure, but now the, the heifer calving difficulty percentage would appear higher because um, I suppose that wasn't fully reflected previously. But we do now have even an even better trait for farmers that are selecting bulls for heifers, as we have given bulls a risk category um, when selecting bulls for heifers, either is he low, moderate or high risk for use on heifers. So going forward now, you're looking at a combination of your calving difficulty percentage plus a guide in terms of your low, moderate, high. Is this what we're looking at going forward? Yeah, that's exactly what we're looking at. So I suppose the advice going forward then would be, yeah, if you're selecting a bull for cows, use the cow calving difficulty figure. If you're selecting a bull for heifers, the easiest way to do that is to use this risk category. So your new 2% is now bulls that are in the low risk category. If you've got bigger heifers and maybe you're willing to tolerate a little bit more risk, you might consider using bulls in the moderate risk category. But I suppose the high risk category really are not suitable um, for use on heifers. And that's available for AI bulls and for stock bulls alike. So if you're going buying a stock bull, you can go look up his figures on the animal search on ICBS. 
and 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 that'll give you a good indication you know indeed the a lot of people they will do one round of ai with the heifers and they let off a stock bull and i suppose you know you can you can measure that and and take account of that and it'll minimize i suppose issues around calving and increase labor demand um during the calving season um taking it a step forward then um moving away from the 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 calving uh, sub index there's also been changes to the maintenance sub index so can you give us some information on that, Siobhan? So the maintenance sub-index, again, it's one of the, the sub-indexes in the EBI, and it's viewed library worldwide would, would, be, would be viewed as the best predictor of maintenance requirements of the cow. So essentially how much it costs to keep the cow on the ground. And up until this year, the EBI used cull cow weight records as an indicator of live weight as we didn't necessarily have enough live weight records when this subindex was initially derived to include live weight itself. However, now there are enough live weight records that we can use that as a specific indicator of maintenance. And I suppose the changes to the maintenance subindex now reflect the impact of kill-out percentage differences between different breeds, um, which impacts the difference between cull-cow carcass weight and live weight. The, the, the new rule of thumb um, under the old system is, would have been, I suppose, a mature cow with a zero maintenance sub-index was 605 kilos and 20 euro was 550 kilos on average. The new rule would be at about a zero maintenance sub-index, your library would be 644 kilos. And if she had a 20 euro maintenance sub-index, you're talking about 559 kilos. So there's been a significant increase in, in the live weight in, um, say, for the zero euro, it's increased by about 40 euro. What is that uh, driven from, Siobhan? Um, well, it's, it's the only change, as I say, is moving from cull cow weight to, li- to, to live weight. And that is a better predictor um, of the maintenance um, sub-index. So really, I suppose, previously, it was there was a, a calculation, I suppose, done to, we'll say, give, give every cow the same out percentage but now because we have uh, the live weight records itself we now have a better predictor of what really is the case on the ground. And I suppose in reality then if you could put figures on it Siobhan like what what sort of kill out percentages are you putting on the different dairy cow breeds? Okay so previously I suppose it was um, a 45% kill out was the standard across all the different breeds um, so that's, that included your Holstein and your Jersey and I suppose recent work would show that Obviously, the, the jersey would have a lower kill-out at about, on average, 43% um, versus the Holstein at 45%. But now, because we don't need to use the carcass, uh, the, the cull-cow weight itself, the live weight is it's the gold standard trait. So there is no conversion, we'll say, to the, to the kill-out anymore because we have the actual live weight PTA. So, so looking then at genomics, there has been some changes to... Um... I suppose, genomic evaluation, Siobhan. Can you give us some information on this? Maybe firstly, for some listeners that aren't familiar of what genomics exactly is, I must explain that. So genomics uses DNA to help predict how an animal will perform in the future. So the DNA profile of an animal is analysed using, for example, hair that a farm might have uh, collected. And this has been benchmarked against the DNA profile of proven animals in a reference population. So performance data, ancestry data, and genomic data is then com- combined together 
to give you a more accurate prediction of the animal's genetic makeup, which results in them getting um, an EDI figure. So to generate genomic evaluation, we need what's called a reference population. So these are a population of genotyped animals. They have accurate performance information on very important traits, such as, for example, milk and fertility. So for these animals, the association between their DNA and their performance is then developed um, from the, that population. So until now, there have been about 10,000 Holstein Frisian males in that uh, reference population. And I suppose countries in recent years have started including females uh, and other females into that population. And they've demonstrated an increase in the prediction uh, of those genomic evaluations. So here in Ireland, what we've done is we've done the same thing. We've included females and we have also included, included um, other breeds. So now we're moving from about 10,000 animals in the reference population to up to 40,000 animals in the reference population. So it's a really big boost. And so these animals are now impacting, I suppose, the predictions that we're making for young genotyped animals. So the impact will be an increased reference population and that has been validated to show that the proofs are now going to be more accurate and that there'd be better stability in those proofs as well. And I guess if we look back over the last number of years, um, there's been quite a high usage of genomic bulls from the active bull list. And what we would have seen was the genomic bulls tended to be, you know, above proven bulls and indeed stock bulls, you know, in comparison in like when we look at their EBI values. Does this trend continue given that the population has increased fourfold? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so what we would see is genomic bulls tend to be about 25 euros ahead of proven bulls over the last number of years. And I suppose that is set to continue. So using daughter proven bulls instead of genomic bulls, it can reduce your, the risk of an individual bull changing. But I suppose overall, it does reduce um, your genetic gain. So I suppose it, the important point would be to acknowledge that a genomic bull and a daughter proven bull can both fluctuate in their EBI as more information accumulates on them. And I suppose the best way to mitigate that risk of bulls fluctuating would be to use a team of bulls. So if you're talking about a herd of 100 cows, you're looking at a minimum of eight bulls, and that's equal usage of eight bulls across the herd, and that will help you uh, it will say if one bull goes down, then on average, your group will not change. I think that's some really good advice, Siobhan. As you say, if you're using a team of bulls, you know, that, that would be important. So what you're saying is eight bulls per for 100 cows and then you're talking about equal usage. So, you know, if you were to say, oh, God, this bull is excellent and you use it across 40 or 50 percent of the herd, you know, if, if that bull is the bull that fluctuates, you know, you're in trouble. Whereas, you know, if you've your eight bulls, you're talking 12, 13 percent um, of, of your herd is going to be in uh, served to w one bull. So you're minimizing your risk. Exactly. And, and, and for, we'll say, if you had, like that now, Emma Louise, if you had 12% of the herd to one bull and he goes down, it, because you will have used a group of bulls, there's a high chance that another bull will go way up. So it, it, it basically it balances out. 
And lastly, then, Siobhan, the last thing I wanted to touch on with you today was um, the dairy beef index. Um, so I suppose for 2019 breeding season, uh, the dairy beef index was very new and I suppose some people weren't aware of it. So there's been more conversation about it. But I suppose before we get into it, could you briefly remind us what the dairy beef index is? Yeah, so essentially it's a one-stop tool to identify the best beef bulls to use in the dairy herd. So really it's um, it's identifying bulls that are easy calving short gestation, but that also has the carcass merit attributes so that essentially when you have your calf on the ground, you'll be able to get them out of the yard and the farmer that picks them up will actually get a bit of return and investment for that animal. So you're meeting the criteria of an easy calving short gestation bull. So easy calving, your cow will go back in back in milk. She won't have issues with calving, but you're also benefiting the um, the beef farmer. You mentioned carcass merit. So what sort of benefit would this be to the beef farmer? So the dairy beef index is made up of two subindexes, similar to the EBI. So we have a value of calving subindex and a value of beef subindex. So if you're looking, um, we'll say, at the dairy beef index active bull list, you will see the makeup of whether a bull is getting his contribution from calving or from, from beef. So here we're talking about higher, higher carcass weight, higher conformation, um, lower carcass fat, and, of course, animals that are meeting the minimum factory requirements in terms of specifications for weight and for conformation. And to, I suppose... Specifically answer your your question, I suppose if we were to compare bulls that have been top of the active bull list last year versus dairy be- dairy beef bulls that would have traditionally been used um, in dairy herds, you're talking about a 17 kilo difference in carcass weight to the um, beef farmer and also one confirmation grade higher. So essentially your, your beef farmer is going to make more money from the animal when they slaughter them. And I suppose that in turn, that will ensure that that farm will come back into your yard again and buy from you. So continuing, I suppose, the, the supply of the dairy beef system. And, and you know, you, you've put some strong figures on that, Siobhan, 17 kilograms of carcass and an increase in one unit in terms of confirmation grade. Is there a kind of a, an economic value we could place on that? Um, I suppose if you were to take um, a base price of 382 um, per kilo at the factory, you're looking at about 105 euro at the end of the day to the beef finisher. Now, again, that can differ, obviously, depending on the price that the farmer receives at the factory. But like I suppose higher carcass weight is always, you, you'll always get more out of that animal um, and higher confirmation than your animal that is poorer performing. So even if you had your, your lower um factory price, you're still going to benefit more from using the bulls on the top of the dairy beef index versus your traditional bulls. And and finally then, Siobhan, in terms of the dairy beef index, um, when we consider the traditional uh, breeding season, farmers would have done six weeks of dairy AI and then six weeks of maybe letting the stock bull out. Okay, This is changing considerably now and people are looking at being more selective in, in terms of their, their breeding. What sort of uh, cows in a dairy herd are suitable for dairy beef index sires? Yeah, so I suppose the important point is that the dairy herd is now more fertile. So cows are surviving longer, but also expansion has slowed. So we don't need as many replacements as we used to need. So that means that we don't need to put as many cows and calves to dairy. So 
like that, we need to be looking at the cows that we're putting to beef. And it shouldn't just be when a certain date comes that we will um, start using beef bulls. We should be selectively picking the cows. So I suppose, for, for example, you could look at your EBI report and that will identify your bottom 10 performance on EBI. So really, you shouldn't necessarily be having replacements on those because you should have enough cows um, better than those to breed your replacements from. Maybe you have problem cows, high cell count, lameness, um, that kind of thing. Those are the cows that you should be identifying to put a beef straw in, irrespective of what time they come in, um, I suppose, to the crush for AI. So essentially what you're targeting is any cows that you would maybe consider a problem cow that you don't necessarily want to see the issues in the next generation in terms of maybe a lame cow, high cell count cow and, and by the same token looking at your lower genetic merit cows and I think that's in line with what we have seen in the past our higher genetic merit cows are giving us higher profitability at the end of the day. I think Siobhan we've had a really good conversation it, this will be very useful um, as we start thinking about the, the type of sire we're selecting um, you know heading into the breeding season and you know some really good um, information in terms of the types of genomic bulls and also what we're looking for particularly when we're selecting a sire for our heifer compared with our cow thanks Siobhan thank you that's it for this week's episode of the Dairy Edge podcast and my thanks to Siobhan Ring for joining me on this week's show don't forget to rate review and subscribe to the podcast you can listen on Apple and Google podcasts as well as Spotify and for more information go to the Chagas website at chagas.ie I'm Emma Louise Coffey and join me next time for your Dairy Edge.